0: Well, good morning to everyone across all of our campuses. If you are joining us for the first time today, whether you are here at our Stafford campus, whether you are online or whether you happen to be down in Fredericksburg, it is an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning as we gather to celebrate baptisms. I do want to pause before we get there, though, and just make a quick announcement. Last week, for those of you that were here, was a historic moment in the life of our church. We had the privilege and the honor of wrapping up our Together series. And for those of us that were here, we had the privilege of putting down on paper the financial sacrifice and commitment that we're going to be making over the next three years, above and beyond our normal giving, to help the mount, to help all of us kind of further the mission that God has for us, and advance his kingdom. And I wanna say, if you were here last week and got to participate in that, I hope that as we go over the next couple years, as we tell stories about what God has done in and through us as a church, I hope that you remember last Sunday as a significant moment in your life where you got to take part. But I, I do wanna invite the rest of you because one of the things we said as we moved through our Together series was that we a 100% engagement. 100% of the people who call them out their home, we want them engaged in some level or another as we move through this campaign. And so if you have not gotten on board with us yet, I want to give you that opportunity. And so there is a QR code on the screen. You can go and fill out a digital commitment card, whatever campus you were at, you can do that right there. Or if you prefer a physical card, on the seat back in front of you, wherever you happen to be sitting, there's a, a Together commitment card and you can fill that out and drop it in some of the bowls at all of our X Sits at all of our campuses or stop by the guest services desk and drop it off there. And in a couple of weeks, I'm really excited. We're going to come back before you and kind of celebrate and cheer God's faithfulness and what you guys are doing in and through the Together campaign. And so I'm excited for that. We would love for you to be a part if you have not. And for those of you that did make your commitments last week, I just want to let you know that because I'm getting quite a bit of questions, you're kind of like, okay, we made our commitment. What's next? Over the course of this week, you're going to be getting some information that will help you begin to take those those next steps. it will be some principles and best practices that you can use to begin implementing your campaign. And so we're really excited about that. But today, we get to celebrate baptism. And I'm super excited about this because across all of our campuses today, we have 60 plus people who are publicly declaring their relationship with Jesus. Now, what's exciting about this is I know that at a church our size, with as many people as we fit in all of our venues, with as many campuses as we have, with as many people who have different maybe faith backgrounds and situations coming in, or maybe they're on you know different Parts of their spiritual journey, maybe they've been following Jesus for a really long time, or today's their first day in church. I recognize that when we have a situation like this, baptism can be one of those things that can be a little bit confusing. And maybe we're here, maybe you're here today, and today is kind of like your first day in church, Maybe you just kind of happened to come here on today and you didn't even know it was baptisms and you're like, okay, baptisms, I don't know what they're cheering for. That doesn't make any sense to me. Or maybe you're here because somebody invited you, the person you're sitting next to. Maybe it's the person getting baptized, one of those 60-plus people told you to come and watch them get baptized. Or maybe you've just been in church for a really long time, but every time Baptism Sunday comes up, you're kind of wondering, you're, you're asking the question, what is baptism all about? Right? Like, you're just like, what is baptism all about? And if you think about it, baptism really is kind of a, a weird and interesting, maybe not very normal thing. Like, let's just, let's just walk through what a, a service might look like on Baptism Sunday. You get here for the first time, you have to deal with finding a spot in the parking lot. You have to check your kids in, and you've never checked them in before, and you're trying to tell them to go to class, and they're hanging onto your leg, and you're kicking them off like a dog, like, go to class, go to class. You grab your coffee, you grab your water, you come deal with trying to find a seat, and then people stand up, and people begin singing songs to words on a screen, and you're like, I don't know who they're singing to, what's happening. And then you sit down, and a guy talks for 30 minutes, and at the end of that 30 minutes, some grown adults and some children stand up and get in a bathtub and begin pushing each other under the water. That's not normal. And to make it even more interesting is not only are they pushing each other in a giant bathtub, but they're excited about it. Like like they come out of the water, like somebody pushes them down, and when they come back up, people are cheering, and they're clapping, and they're yelling, and sometimes they're so happy they've got tears, and their makeup's running, and you're like, wow, it's just a bathtub. Like why are they so excited? I, I could push you down in my house the same way. And so here's what I want to do, our our time together this morning, regardless of where we are on our spiritual journey, I just want to take a minute and talk about this because I think one of the dangers is that maybe we don't understand it. And maybe the other danger on the opposite end of the spectrum is that those of us that have been going to church for a really long time, year after year after year, we can come and we can see baptisms and it can just feel routine and it can kind of lose some of that significance, and specialness, and that power that it's intended to have. And you know, I've, I've been in ministry almost 20 years, full-time ministry, and over the course of those 20 years, I've gotten to see hundreds and thousands of people get baptized. And I can still remember, though, me personally, some very significant baptism moments and experiences. I can remember being 21 years old just weeks before I was going to become a youth pastor at a church and me and my wife stood before this this small congregation and together we got baptized. And I can remember the feeling of significance and power that I experienced in that moment. I can remember through 15 years of student ministry... Seeing students, teenagers who would come into church to youth group and you knew they were there because of a certain girl or a certain boy and you knew like, man, this person, and not in a mean way, but this person seems so far from God right now, it's going to take a miracle for anything to happen in their life and then just months later they would stand in a tub of water in front of all their peers proclaiming that they are changed. I remember about 10 or 12, 15 years ago, I got a chance to go to India on a mission trip and my wife and I were there doing some work in an orphanage, and we got a chance to go to the, the Indian Ocean down by the beach and, and do some baptisms there in the ocean. And I remember this one girl who was an orphan there, and, and this, is, this is me. I have hair, so you can of you might not notice it, but that's me. Uh, I miss that stuff, but whatever. We'll, we'll just move on. But uh, I had a chance to baptize, and I, it was significant because I remember hearing her story and thinking about their culture and the fact that this woman, this 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 teenager, as she's standing in the Indian Ocean and we're about to dip her down, her whole life is about to change because it most likely meant that according to their caste system, their culture, she would never be able to live up to her potential because she had forsaken her Hindu beliefs to be Christian. It meant that she would probably spend the rest of her life single because any respectable Hindu man would never marry a Christian woman, especially a Christian orphaned woman. But she boldly stood and proclaimed, that Jesus was Lord. And there are these moments where when we see people in the water and it's powerful and significant, and so what I want to do this morning with our the quick time we have together is just kind of talk about the significance and the power and the, and the moment of baptism. And maybe, maybe for some of you, you'll understand it for the very first time. Or maybe some of us, it'll kind of reignite the significance and the, the moment that it is. And so we're going to start with the basics. And baptism, the word that we use for baptism, comes from the Greek word, which is the language of the New Testament, the original language. And it's the word baptizo. Would you guys say this with me at all of our campuses? Here we go. So it's Greek, so you're going to kind of like baptizo, like I want you to say it like that, okay? So like let's try this again and say it with some personality for me here. Ready? One, two, three. You guys sound good. That was was pretty good. Like I'm going to use you guys for all voiceovers now. But baptizo in the original Greek language means to dip, to immerse, or to submerge. It means to dip, to immerse, or to submerge. Now, for us in our 21st century, 20th, like, in, in our context, we reserve the word baptism for very significant, sacred, specific moments. We have baptism services. People are baptized. It's regarded mainly for church services in a context around religious things. But to a common-speaking Greek person in early kind of first century and even before Jesus, the word baptizo was actually a very common word that was used as part of your normal, everyday, In fact, one of the earliest examples we have of the word baptizo is by a guy by the name of Nicander. And Nicander lived 200 years before the birth of Jesus. And Nicander was a a famous poet, philosopher, but apparently Nicander for his time, 200 years before Jesus, was also somewhat of a chef. And so Nicander wrote down a recipe that has lasted for generations and generations and generations, and 200 years before Jesus was ever born. Nicander is writing in Greek how to make a pickle, and in essence, Nicander, the, the, the text that we have, basically says you take a. And he says it in Greek. I'm not going to speak in Greek. He says you take a cucumber and you baptizo it in vinegar, and the longer it's baptized in the vinegar, the more and more it begins to taste like a pickle. It was a normal, common, everyday phrase that was used all throughout first century culture. And biblically, if you look at the biblical story, we first encounter the word in the very first book of the New Testament, just three chapters in to Matthew's gospel, when Matthew is talking about this guy by the name of John. And now John, who was named John the Baptist, should tell you what he did as part of his full-time job. John was this strange character. If you're familiar with the biblical story, you know this, but maybe you're not. So John was this guy who scripture describes as this guy who liked to dress his clothes made out of camel's hair. And when he ate, he liked to take locusts, picture that, and dip it in honey and snack on those like they're pistachios. John was a guy who who loved to live in the wilderness. His hair was unkempt, he was wild. If there was like first century survivor, John would have been the guy winning every season. He was this wild man. But John was known for being the most famous preacher of his time. And John was very simple. John didn't have all sorts of illustrations and all different sort of texts and messages. John had one message and everywhere he went, he preached the exact same message. Every person, every town, everywhere he went, John would just say, repent. Repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. Turn from your sins. Repent from them and be baptized and washed clean and made new. And so, what we see in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, is where Jesus comes up to John and basically wants John to baptize him. And take a look at this. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be what? So he shows up and he's like, John. Jesus is 30 years old at this moment in his life. He is about to begin his public ministry. And what's incredibly significant about this, and we don't have time to unpack this, but the first thing Jesus does after being baptized is begin his ministry. And so John shows up to be baptized, or Jesus shows up to be baptized by John. And then there's this interesting like, conversation that takes place, and maybe I find it fascinating and interesting. Look at what happens in verse 14. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? So basically Jesus says, John, I want to be baptized. And John's like, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you. Let's do that. And you get this sense that they sort of go back and forth, like, no, John, you're going to baptize me. No, Jesus, I'm not doing that. You baptize me. No, you baptize me. And it's this back and forth until eventually in verse 15, Jesus sort of gets a little bit frustrated. And Jesus replied, and this phrase, let it be so now, is a phrase of like what you might tell your preteen son when he is just driving you crazy. Like, just stop it now. So he's basically, let it be so now. Like, this is what you're gonna do right now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So then it says, John consented. John's like, okay, if it has to be this way, it has to be this way. It continues. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went into the water and he came out. He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting or landing or shining on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is the father in heaven speaking. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, we'll pause for just a second and come back to the scripture. But one of the questions I get asked quite a bit as a pastor is, Adam, why should I get baptized? Because baptism is not about my salvation. I'm already saved, what's the big deal? Why should I get baptized? And the first thing we see from this text right away is that Jesus gets baptized. And for those of us that have professed to follow Jesus, who want to emulate him and be like him, we should follow his example out of obedience and be baptized the same way he was. So why do we get baptized? Because Jesus did. And we're building our life around him as our model and our leader. Now, let's go back to this verse in just a second. Let's go back to verse 16 at the beginning. I want you to see this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, and I want you to see what the voice says, and then we'll talk about what the voice doesn't say. It says, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Sometimes I like to think about what does Scripture not say? It doesn't say Jesus came out of the water and the crowd and the Father clapped and said, wow, that was so symbolic. Why? Because yes, baptism is symbolic of something we'll talk about in a minute. But at the same time, all throughout scripture, every time someone is baptized, there is a spiritually significant moment that occurs. It's a marker a milestone, it's powerful. And I think the danger for us is the more we see it, the more routine it becomes and the less powerful it becomes. And so let's just take a minute and talk about what what does it mean when we say that baptism is powerful and has spiritual power? And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is you might write this down, is that baptism is about ownership. Baptism is about ownership. And so let's just play a game real quick, just all of our campuses, I need participation. How many of you would say with a show of hands, you enjoy some type of sport, either playing or watching it in some fashion or another? I see quite a bit of hands. All right, so let's do this. Let's dive a little deeper. Um, let, let's, let's, if I name your favorite team or favorite sport, I want you to just kind of cheer for us for a second, okay? Online, do a little double praise hand emojis. Just let us know that. Fredericksburg, cheer, Stafford, cheer. Uh, let's start with the easiest one. Anyone here a Chiefs fan? All right, not what I expect. Some of you, you're a Chiefs fan now. When they lose Mahomes, you won't be a Chiefs fan anymore. You'll just move on and go to another team. I get how that works. All right, so we won't do 49ers because they're still bitter, they're still mad. How about this? This one's usually easy. Are there any Cowboys fans at our campuses? They are always loud and obnoxious, it happens. Uh, let's do this one. And I promise I won't make fun of you so you, can, you don't have to be shy about it. Are there any Commanders fans in the room? There we go, all right, okay. Uh, maybe you're not really into football. Maybe you like the better sports, right? Like maybe you like basketball. Uh, anyone here a Golden State Warriors fan? All right, okay. Uh, let's do this one, and I'll, I'll throw myself into this one. Anyone a Wizards fan, NBA Wizards fan? Yeah. We're like 3 and 90, so it's not a good year for us, but we're trying, right? It's a rebuild year every year, it seems to be. Uh, maybe you're not into basketball. Let's just do this. Any soccer fans in the room? Okay. Hockey fans. All right, some of you, you're getting there. Some of you are like into college and there's really only one good college team. It's the University of Oklahoma and we know that and we're gonna cheer for that one right there, yes. And so here's, here's what I want you to see. I love, the thing I love about sports and teams is regardless of the sport we are into, we probably have on some level or another a favorite team in some way. And when our team, especially when they're doing good, right, Chiefs fans, especially when they're doing good, it's like you have all the freedom to be obnoxious about your team. You, you, you wear shirts, you wear hats, you know, you're posting all over social media about it. You put the flags on your car, you slap on bumper stickers. You go to your friend's house and put a bumper sticker on their car just to tease them. Like you're pranking them. You're doing everything. When somebody comes to your house, you make them chant the motto before they can come in and watch the game. Like you are into it and you wear the jerseys, you wear the clothes. You want everyone to know I belong to that team. I'm with them. We're one. We're in it together. Baptism is sort of that same thing with Jesus. Uh, Paul says it this way to the church in Galatia in chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were what? Who were baptized into Christ. What have you done? You have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words... For those of us, when we see baptisms, we experience baptism, it is us publicly declaring to everyone watching that I belong to his team. I'm taking his clothes, his righteousness, his goodness, his holiness, his redemption, and I am clothing myself in that where from this point forward, when you see me, you used to see Adam, but now when you see me, hopefully, if I am living and following Jesus, you don't see Adam anymore, you see Jesus because I'm clothing myself in him, and I'm showing the world. And this is why, where did Jesus get baptized? The Jordan River. The Jordan River, if you know anything about first century Palestinian culture, outside of the temple, the Jordan River was the most popular gathering spot in the entire region, in the entire country. It is where people went to catch food and to also bathe and you know, wash their clothes. I don't know why they did all of those things in the same river, but they went there, they went there to relax. They went there to hang out. They went there to, to cool off on a hot day. And so when we read in scripture in Matthew chapter three that Jesus shows up to have John baptize him in the Jordan River, this is because this is the most public space where Jesus could get baptized and he wants everyone to know and everyone to see. And this is why here at the Mount, when we ask you to get baptized, when you ask us to get baptized, we tell you to bring everyone bring your friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, bring your favorite barista, whoever you want to bring, just bring everyone and let them see you publicly proclaim, I'm clothed with Christ. You no longer see me, you see him. Maybe, maybe another way to think about this idea of ownership is to think about a wedding ring. My wife and I, This wedding ring, we got married almost 20 years ago, and this wedding ring is an outward, visible symbol of the inward spiritual truth that we made before God and our people, right? If I take this wedding ring off, I am still married. Why? Because it's an inward spiritual truth. But when I put this wedding ring on, it is showing the people around me I'm off limits, ladies. Stay back. When my wife puts hers on, it shows all the guys. She's off limits, fellas, stay back. It lets people know who we belong to, that we are in a mutual covenant relationship. Baptism is sort of like the wedding ring of the Christian faith, because what we see is through the pastoral letters and all the way into Revelation is that you and I are the bride of Christ. And so we're showing the world, I belong to him, he is mine, and I am his. So, first, it's about ownership. Second, it's about our old self. It's about our old self. In Romans chapter six, there's this interesting passage of scripture where Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And he's writing to a group, and context matters, he's writing to a group of believers who have committed their lives to following Jesus. And he begins writing to them in kind of the, the heavy section of 6, 7, and 8 about the struggle of sin, the nature of sin, the weight of sin, and he talks about it. Maybe you've seen the phrase where he talks about people who kind of, they want to do something, but they do the opposite, and the things they don't want to do or what they do do. And he's talking about this nature of sin. And he makes this interesting theological connection. He's writing to a group of believers about sin and begins talking about baptism and in verse 3 of chapter 6 he says this don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus what were we We were into his all of us who were baptized into Jesus we were baptized into his death and then he impacts that what does that mean right because Paul asks a question Paul doesn't ask questions without answering them he says we were therefore what buried with him through baptism into death. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's writing to a group of believers about their sin struggle, about the nature of sin and how it keeps trying to wrestle back into their life and live by the flesh. And he makes this incredibly theological connection using the symbolic picture of baptism. And he says this, listen, you as a believer Your old self, your sinful nature, your flesh, the thing that was in you that wanted to be selfish and do its own thing, and the former life you had, that thing is dead. It is buried. It is gone. And he's making this connection saying, it is gone. The person that you were, the person that did blank, the person that struggled with blank, that person, they're not just a better person. He's saying, theologically, that person is dead and gone and buried. And he's saying, through baptism, we are symbolically displaying and showing everyone around us. We are preaching to ourselves that that person is dead. This is why here at the Mount, we do baptism by immersion. We immerse, we put you all the way under that picture of you being buried in your old self. And for some of you, your life was so sinful and so selfish, we're gonna push you down really far and hold you there for a really long time just to make sure, right? Like, I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. Like, sorry people, don't freak out. But here's what I want you to see. Paul continues in verses six and seven about this idea. He says this For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body, and this is important, the body that was ruled by sin might be done away with, that we will no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has what? Died has been set free from sin. Remember, I said baptism is symbolic but it also is powerful. Here's what Paul's saying. Whenever your old sinful self starts to rise back up, whenever you start to feel it, you start to hear that voice whispering to you, like you could do this, you could do this. That's who you are. That's what you are. Paul is saying, look back at baptism and remember that that thing is dead. And here's the thing: dead things don't talk anymore. So it is dead. It is gone. It is no longer you. You are no longer that person. You are a different person completely. Dead things don't talk. Dead things don't control your life. So when you find yourself slipping back into a lifestyle of sin, you don't think, oh man, if I could just be better Christian. You know, no, no, no. Jesus killed that. thing. I'm new. I'm good. I'm okay because my body has been dead and buried and I am made new. Which leads me to our third point. Baptism is about our new life. Baptism is about our new life. This is, again, I I can't explain it, but there's just something that happens. Yes, it's symbolic, but something happens that is far bigger than symbolism. When people are baptized, And those of you that have been baptized, you know this. When you go in the water and you come out, you, you feel different and you can't explain it. And, and Paul tries to explain it in verse four and he says it this way. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So what? So that we too may live what? A new life. We may live a new life. Again, the word baptizo was a common word in their culture. In fact, one of the most common uses was not for pickle recipes, it was for clothing. And what they would do is they would take clothing, maybe you were making a new tunic for yourself, and your tunic would probably be white or kind of a cream-colored white. And if you wanted that tunic to be colored a different color, you would take that tunic and you would get a dye, D-Y-E, of different color over here, and you would take your tunic and you would dip it in there, left us around, move it around, lift it up, and it would come out a new color. And what's interesting is when they would talk about this, they would say, No, you take your tunic and you baptizo into the color. And what's fascinating is when we talk about color, we would say, Oh, like I'll put it in there and it's it's a different color. Like it came out a different color. But they were very specific on the words they used. In first century Palestinian culture, they would say, You took your tunic and you baptizoed it into the color, and it came out a new garment. It was not the same, it was new. It was different. Some of you. Maybe your baptism was last week. Maybe it was 25, 30, 50, 60 years ago. And you are still struggling with the same sin and the same hangups. You're a new creation. You're not just better. You were dead and raised to life. You are new completely, completely different. And here's one of the things I've been thinking about. We're gonna gonna celebrate people baptized. We're gonna gonna cheer for them. We're gonna celebrate. But for those of us that have experienced it over and over and over again, maybe there's two questions we need to wrestle with. If baptism is about our old self being dead, what is it in your life right now? What's something old that keeps trying to rise back up? That before you leave here today, you need to make sure You tell it, you're dead. You can't talk to me anymore. Baptism is not about our old self, but also new life. Maybe there's something in your life right now that is dead that needs to be awakened. An area of your faith that once was on fire and now feels dead. Before you leave here today, let the picture of people coming out of the water help you revive and bring back to life the dead parts of your faith. Maybe you're here today at any campus and God is stirring in your soul right now. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus last week. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus 35 years ago, but you've never taken the step of baptism. We would welcome that today. In fact, here in a little bit after we pray, we're gonna celebrate baptisms at all of our campuses and we, we've got everything you need to make that decision today. If you came in, you're like, oh no, I don't, I don't have any clothes. We've got clothes for you. If you're like, I don't know, I don't have any, whatever. We have everything for you. There is nothing you need for to be baptized today that we don't have. We would love to give you the opportunity and offer the chance for you to spontaneously decide today to be obedient and stop delaying and move forward with what God has for you as you publicly proclaim you were dead. And now you're alive. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are so thankful for you. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, you came to earth You saw us as human beings, right? This is the good news. This is what baptism is a picture of. The good news that you saw us as human beings who were sinful and and selfish and prideful and, and left doing our own thing and thought we were good, but we were worthless. You came and lived a holy, perfect, sinless, blameless life and died for us. You took our punishment, our pain, And three days later, you rose from the grave defeating death and sin so that we, when we believe in you, can have new life, not just now, but for all of eternity with you and not be separated by our faith. Maybe you're here today and the idea of Old things being dead and new things coming back to life. You need to experience that for the first time. Maybe the spirit Jesus is calling you, asking you, will you believe that you can put your sinful, selfish self in a grave and be risen to walk in new life through the power of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe. At all of our campuses with our eyes closed and heads bowed, if you would love to pray that prayer for the first time, Jesus, I want to accept your forgiveness and salvation, not just now, for all of eternity. Would you just be bold right where you are and raise your hand? Jesus, I need your love. I see your hands. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner jesus come into my life make me new be my king be my lord i repent and i run to you jesus amen